Let's pray. Father, just give you the glory for today, Lord. I ask you to bless our time today as we look into your word, as we look into truth, because there is a time where people won't look for the truth and turn aside the myths, it says in Second Timothy, Father. But we want to be about the truth, Father. And I give you the glory and ask you to bless our time today, Lord. And as someone prayed in the prayer time today, maybe we would add somebody to the book of life today, Lord, through your word and through your truth and through the testimony of your word, Father. And I give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to start off by talking about a king. His name was Solomon. Uh, I want to show you main verses today are the last two verses in Ecclesiastes, but I wanted to start with First Chronicles to show you how and why God blessed Solomon. And it says in verse 7 of Second Chronicles chapter 1, it says, And that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? Could you imagine the Lord visiting you in your dream and saying, You know, Nick, what should I give you? Caden, what should I give you? Be powerful. So Solomon replied and said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be fulfilled now, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. That's a lot of people. I mean, I don't know, my house has some dust in it. You know, Kathy's not here, so I'm not going to go into that. But give me now wisdom and knowledge. This is what Solomon asked me for. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For you can govern this people of yours, which is so great. Who can govern these people? There's so many. They're so great. So God answered Solomon, because this was your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, and life of those who hate you, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, Honor such as none of the kings who were before you and none who shall after the like. You shall after have like. So he, Solomon, he just asked for knowledge and wisdom instead of all that stuff. But God says, I'm still going to bless you with all that stuff. Solomon had everything. He was the most, he had more wisdom and more knowledge than any king ever and has lived on this earth. It's beautiful. So I tell you that because last week I kind of started at the end and came back from to the beginning of where we're living now. And I want to do that again now today. I want to take us to the end of our lives where we're sitting here and, you know, this is the end of our life. And this is what Solomon wrote in the last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote the Proverbs. He wrote some of the Psalms. He wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote Song of Solomon because he had so much... Wisdom and knowledge given to me by God. So here's the last two verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he starts out by saying, the end of the matter. The end of the matter. All has been heard. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Think about your whole life right now. Your whole life. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So I think to myself, doesn't, when you read those two verses, doesn't everything come down to life at the end of your life? Doesn't it all come down to was it good or was it evil? Was it right or was it wrong? Was it light or was it darkness? Was it wicked or was it holy? Was how you lived your life acceptable to God or not acceptable to God? Pleasing to God or not pleasing to God? So there's really nothing in the Bible that says anything. Was it a Republican or a Democrat? Was it rich or was it poor? There's nothing in the Bible about that. It just comes down to that. The end of the matter is here. Now, the prophet Isaiah told us this in Isaiah 5. It says, Woe to those who call evil good or good evil. You know anything of that going on now in the nation? Calling evil good or good evil? Who put darkness for light or light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, the prophet Isaiah wrote, and shrewd in their own sight, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of the right, of his right. So that comes from Isaiah. Then I thought to myself, and I've never did this in a message. I've never put this in a listening guide before. I put my own name in there. Pastor Nick tells us this. And this is from my heart. I have to admit that I'm one of those Christians who tries to do everything by the book. God's book, the Holy Bible. Whenever I hear something or see something or say something, the pages of the Bible are literally going through my mind and my heart to see whether it's right or not or true or not or correct or not. One time I was on a a conference in New York with a couple people and uh, the dad said to me, you know, Nick, Every time I talk to you, I feel like you have the Bible right next to your face and you're ready to answer with it. And I said to him, that's probably one of the kindest things I've ever had said to me before. Because that's the way I look at life. Everything I do and say, I try to look at this book and think about what does God's word say? And then the man said to me, Nick, you need to let that stuff go and just let the Holy Spirit guide you. And that was his response. And I said to him, I know it's the Holy Spirit that makes everything come alive in our hearts and our minds. And I know it's the Holy Spirit that takes this Bible and makes it come alive to us. Before you sit down and read the Bible every day, and I know you all try to take the time to do that, and I'm trying to be sarcastic, but when you do do that, ask the Holy Spirit to make it come alive to you. Because he's the one to take those verses and it's almost like 4th of July when those beautiful fireworks are going off and all the colors are going off. That's what it should look like when you're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit will do that for you, without a doubt. I'm one of these Christians that thinks the Bible is finished and you look at Proverbs 35 and 6, write it down, look at it later. It's a great two verses when somebody from some other religions knocking on your door and talking to you about some other Bible, taking the Proverbs 35 and 6. 
but I think the Bible is finished, but I still totally believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks today, that the Holy Spirit's still, still taking the things of God and making a Uh, them alive in our heart. The Holy Spirit is still guiding us and taking us places and doing different things. Seriously, back in in 2005, I got called to this church and and I prayed about it and I felt like saying, God, is this where you want me to go now? I've been hanging around with junior high teens for 10 years as a volunteer, seven years before that. But the Lord used the Holy Spirit to bring me here and he opened up the door and he's always going to be opening up the door for you. Maybe for neighbors to talk to, maybe school associates to talk to. He's always going to be taking you to a different place and preparing you to go and make a difference for him. So I'm one of these Christians that thinks the Bible is finished. I'm one of these Christians that thinks that I and you as well will stand before God one time and give an account for the things that you have done in your body. That's why when, when Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, for God will bring every deed into judgment with even secret things, whether it's good or evil. And I think that I myself, and I believe you will too, will stand before God one day and give an account for what did you do with the spiritual gifts that he gave you? What did you do with the time he gave you? What did he do? What did you do with the money he blessed you with? What did you do as far as showing love to one another or forgiving one another or the wisdom that you give? And I think to myself, I'm going to stand before God and and give an account for the wisdom that the Holy Spirit poured into my heart and the messages that I gave here that I had the blessing to give on Sunday morning. Did they encourage you? Did they challenge you? Did they give you hope? Last night on the Hallmark movie, uh, Christmas Under the Stars, it was a beautiful story. And there was a man there who spent time, and Phyllis and I were talking about this morning, that he spent time in the military for years, and then he retired, and then he opened up uh, a place on the corner in Chicago and sold Christmas trees for I don't know how many years. And his wife passed away, but there was a statement in the movie that that really spoke to me, because they said, look how... You have been blessed having this Christmas tree that that was your life's ambition or your life's work. And the gentleman said, no, my life's work was a military. This tree place was just a gift given to me. It was beautiful when he said it. I thought to myself, my life's work is to know Christ. My life's work is to dig into this word and, and get closer to God. And that's what I think we all as Christians are supposed to be doing, getting in the Word and digging into the Word and fellowshipping with one another. This morning, Joe Leveling and I had the blessing of sharing with three ladies today in our community group. I'm telling you, I've been in there a month now and I walk out of there every week blessed and thankful. And if you're here and you're not in a community group and you want to grow in your relationship with God, you want to fellowship with any Christians, with other Christians, come at 9.30 and be a part of it. When you leave today, there are sheets back there with questions dealing with the message today that you can go home. If you get a chance, read them, answer them, and come back and do it. Several years ago, we had a men's retreat with the theme being Walk the Bottom Line. Where's Jim Savia? Remember that picture he came up with? And our theme that year was kind of a spinoff on uh, walk the line, whatever Johnny Cash movie was. And I read those 
verses in Ecclesiastes. And I said, well, Christians, we need to walk the bottom line. And that's where those verses came from. And I use those last two verses in the theme of being at the camp because that's our whole duty as man is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the end of the matter. So if you truly believe those two verses, which are the last verses in Ecclesiastes, I would like to to share some other verses with you today that will help you fulfill your duty as a Christian man or woman, as a teenager, boy or girl. We got a young lady who's going to be 17 tomorrow. Praise God. Is it right if I say your name, Maddie, in front of everybody? Praise God. Going to be 17 tomorrow. But if you're a teenager, a boy or a girl or a child, Paul tells us this. If you want to know how to fulfill the duty of fearing God and keeping his commandments, two verses in Romans just speak so well to us. He says, therefore, in Romans chapter 12, first two verses, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Think about it. If we can learn to live like that, we're going to fulfill that whole duty of our lives. He says, do not conform any longer to pattern this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's really about being transformed. It's really about transformation. And that happens when you take the time to dig into God's word, to read on it, to feed on it, to live it out, to fellowship, to serve, to give. All those things are a part of being transformed. But those two verses in Romans 12, and I heard a pastor say this on the radio a couple weeks ago, are not really for anybody. These two verses are for not anybody out on, out on the streets, out in the neighborhoods who don't know Christ because it's one thing to be come to church and be a part and believe in God, but it's another thing to be committed as a living sacrifice that Paul's talking about here. That's something different. As Christians, as being a living sacrifice, we're called to be holy. We're called to be pleasing We're called to be something different than what the world has to offer. And the word says, this is our true and proper worship. Remember the terms they used last week in the video when we were honoring, when I showed that video, uh, honoring the veterans. And remember the words that came up on the screen last week? I wrote them down, courage. This describes a person in the military. Courage, honor, strength commitment, valor, character, bravery, sacrifice, dedication, and excellence. Shouldn't those same words describe us as Christians as we live our life out? Our Christian walk has to be ongoing. It's about transformation. I'm 67 years old now, and I'm still asking God to transform. He's that old? Still asking God to transform me to still give me knowledge so I can make a difference for him because I know I'm going to give account to him. But we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and you're not going to be able to be transformed without getting into this. You're not going to be able to be transformed without fellowship and in serving and giving and doing all those things God has blessed us with to do. 
And that's why we here at this church are constantly doing everything we can to spur you on to gather together, to grow together and go together. And did you know that the Apostle Paul actually had a testimony that we can read about it in his book, uh, Timothy, when he was writing to his protege, Timothy, who he was building up to be ready to pastor the church at Ephesus, he flat out wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1 his testimony. And as we read this testimony, I want you to think about your own testimony on, on how he uh, got a hold of your heart and changed your heart. So he said this, is, uh, Paul says, I thank him who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus flowed, overflowed for me with faith and love, and that are in Christ Jesus. And he finishes testimony saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul was so humble. I mean, what do you write? Like 13 books in the Bible. He was humble. He was a sinner. And God called him. You see in those verses, he gave him strength. He appointed him. He received mercy. He overflowed in Paul faith and love. And he does that for all of us. And he said, and that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy. Anybody need mercy today? Anybody need forgiveness today? Anybody need to to feel God's love and know his knowledge? For this reason, that in me as the foremost, once again, I'm the foremost, I'm the worst, I was bad, I killed Christians. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That's how you get in the book of life. When you believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. So I read Paul's testimony and I feel like he wanted me to ask you four questions today. Everyone is sitting here today. What's your testimony? What is your testimony? Paul shared his testimony. Did you receive mercy? Did you receive faith? Have you received love? Have you received full acceptance? Are you living out your life right now as holy and pleasing to God? Is your life right now an example of true and proper worship? The theme the past three weeks has been, where do we go from here? If you have a relationship with God and you know the end of the matter because we read about it today in Ecclesiastes, today, where do we go from here? And now I want to tell you about the writer of Hebrews, because this is a good example for us. If where do we go from here? If you walked out of here, I'd say, when you leave today, take care. Take care, brothers. Least there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And I'm sure every one of us have known Christians that have gotten to that spot where all of a sudden... Their heart's not right. 
All of a sudden, they're not believing God like they used to be. All of a sudden, they're, they seem to be falling away from living from God. But where do we go from here? Exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, that's a big if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm into the end. As it says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses with whom he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we were unable to enter because of unbelief. And if you read through the book of Exodus and you see how how the Lord just opened up the waters and the people went through there and they took an, uh, a census. When people left uh, Egypt, they took a census and it was, they, they wanted to count everybody that was 20 years or older. Praise God, you got three more years in there, Maddie. But they counted people that were 20 years or older and they came up with a number. This is the amount of men 20 years or older and it was 600 3,550 people that walked through the waters when they came up and walked around for 40 years so they went into the promised land. 603,550 people. It says it twice in the Bible. Exodus 38, 26, Numbers 2, 32. The Spirit taught me that, you know. And then when they finally made it to the promised land, only two guys Remain faithful those 40 years. Two guys. Now, I want you to raise your hand because I have a gift for you. If you know the answer, who were the two guys of those 603,550 men that made it in the promised land? John, you put your hand up. Joshua and Caleb. You just won yourself a free sandwich today. Well, they're not open today because they're believers. But praise God. But Chick-fil-A, you got yourself a free sandwich. Thank you. Praise God. Think about Chick-fil-A, man. They're Christian. They're built upon Christian values. They're closed on Sunday. And you ever look at John. Already wants to give it away. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Praise God. But think about it. You ever see a Chick-fil-A? They don't have one drive through line. They got two drive through lines. Seriously, that place in Percival where I live, that parking lot is such a mess because they do so much business there. It's powerful. So once again, I'll ask you the question now for three Sundays in a row. Where do we go from here? Personally and as a church family. I found another version said it this way of verses 13 and 14 in Hebrews 3. Speak to each other about these things every day. While there's still time, so that none of you will become hardened against God and be blinded by the glamour of sin. For if we are faithful in the end, trusting God, just as we did when we first became Christians, we will share in all things that belong to Christ. 
You know, when I read those verses, and I'm going to be honest with you, because I had the blessing of working with teenagers for a while, and, and Pastor Caleb would probably say the same thing I would. We, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'll say it for me, and you, you can agree or disagree. We worry about teenagers, man. We're concerned about teenagers because once they get graduate from high school, man, we don't need God anymore, man. Not Maddie, Not that is correct. You know, we don't have <laughs> beautiful job. We don't need God anymore. You know, I'm going to college now. You know, I got a boyfriend or I got a girlfriend or, you know, all of a sudden the, the scriptures and the things of God really don't seem that important. Because there's something about inside of us because we're, you know, we get saved. We want to honor the Lord with our lives, but we're still fighting the flesh. And then we get away from home and all of a sudden other things become more important than God. And you'll see a lot of teens. I mean, I mean, there's statistics out now that people getting out of high school, they, people don't need church anymore, man. We live in the greatest country in the world. We have so much stuff. We don't really need God. And God is, the Holy Spirit saying, don't forget me. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget these scriptures that your parents so graciously raised you up in. And I look around and see all the parents bringing their kids to church. It's powerful. You'll stand before God one day and give an account on, how did you raise your children? Did you bring them up in the scriptures? Did you bring them up to know the Lord? Because I know there's going to be a time when they wake up, I don't need God anymore. I'm good on my own. I got a new car now. I got a pickup truck that's a cool color. I don't need God anymore. I didn't mean to point at you, Caden. It's beautiful. Praise God. There's a friend of mine that sent me this article. His name's Jeff Rollins. He lives in Round Hill. And he sent me this article, and it really ministered to me. And it was from Billy Graham. And it said this. And it was about those verses, Hebrews 3, 13, and 14. Billy Graham tells us this. He says, Seemingly, man has learned to live without God, preoccupied and indifferent towards him, and concerned only about the material security and pleasure. Know anybody like that? Billy Graham wrote, that's a scary thing. The interesting phrase to me in that passage, Hebrews 3.13, is the last four words in that verse, the glamour of sin. Do you ever think of sin being glamorous? Sin's enticing. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, it wouldn't be a problem, right? No one would do it. Billy Graham wrote, but sin is fun, at least for a while. It's also a trap because it is pulling you away from God. Sin is fun for a season, and then the consequences of the sin begin to manifest. Guilt, fear, anxiety, addiction, and more. All those things are a trap that sin does for us. And Billy went on and wrote, and just kind of cool calling him Billy. And just, as I just said, life without God is a scary thing. Where do you find your hope if it's not in God? Do you find it in things, money, people? Those are the things that can be taken away from you. You need your hope in something that is bigger than you are. And ladies and gentlemen, that's Christ. That's Christ. 
surrendering your life to Christ, learning to mean what it lives for him and to live for him and do that. And I'm going to close today with a guy that's not a Christian. His name is Douglas Copeland. He's not a Christian. He's an author. He wrote this years ago in a book called Life After God. He said, life was charmed without politics or religion. It was a life of the children of the pioneers, life after God, a life of earthly salvation on the edge of heaven. Perhaps this is the finest thing to which we may aspire, the life of peace, the blurring between dream life and real life. And yet I find myself speaking these words in a sense of doubt, he wrote. I think there was a trade-off somewhere along the line. I think the price we paid for our golden life was the inability to fully believe in love. Instead, we gained an irony that scorched everything it touched. And I wonder if this is the irony, is the price we paid for the loss of God. Think about it. When we think about the end of the matter that Solomon talked about in those last two verses in Ecclesiastes, and I'll close with this. When we think about the end of the matter, the truth is we need God. We need God. We need His love. We need His direction. We need His leadership. We need to have His vision for our lives so that we might be able to sustain and so we might stop this aimlessly wandering and dissatisfied life. The Israelites wandered for 40 years in a desert because they couldn't figure out even though this miracle was done, they still wanted something else. Don't live your life as a teenager once you get out of your family and your house and you go to college, don't be aimless. Don't wander. Don't be dissatisfied with life. Our hope is and will only be found in Christ. Can I get any amens for that? Our only hope is Christ. So where do we go from here? Love God. Love others. Live missional. Let's pray. Come on up, ushers. Father, I give you the glory for today, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, Solomon and the Bible, how you blessed him and gave him so much knowledge and wisdom. And at the same time, you gave him riches. You made him a king. But he wrote your word. The Holy Spirit used him to write parts of the Bible for us, Father. And the end of the matter is true. We have to fear God and keep his commandments. And maybe there's someone here that wants to be added to the book of life today, Father. Because every week we open up this altar. We got three ladies that told me today, we want to invite other people to come up here. Because we want a revival in this church. We want a revival in Warrington and Prince William. And and good Lord, Virginia needs a revival like crazy. So, Father, we want to pray for Virginia today. We want to pray for the leaders of Virginia today, Father. Father, help them to realize that it's God who's the author and finish of our faith. It's Christ who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now sits at the right-hand throne of God, making intercession for us, Father. And we wouldn't want nothing else but for intercession to happen in this place today, Father. 
that your spirit would move in a mighty way, that people would come forward here to pray for family members who don't know you, neighbors that don't know you, or maybe they want to come up because they just realize today that there is going to be the end of the matter. There is going to be a time where we leave this earth and we're going to stand before God and give an account to him, Father. And if we know you, if we have received uh, your uh, dying on the cross and you forgave us of our sins and it says yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he became right it will become a child of God Father and I don't want anybody leaving here today it is not a child of God Father so if you feel a tug in your heart that you want to come up and receive him just like my wife and I did in 1981 the first Sunday in June we came up here and this not at this altar but another altar Father and gave our hearts to Christ Father And I pray that that would happen today. Father, bless our offering today, Father. There's a teenager in this church that got a job and gave online. My God, bless him, Father. Thank you for their parents teaching their kids how to give, Father. Because there's so much blessings that come out of that, Father. Your word says give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. For with the measure you use it, the measure we give back to you, Father. So bless that young man in a mighty way, Father. Help him to realize that giving is bearing fruit, Father. So bless our offering today and our altar time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.